there's always other people that will spend your time for you if you let them. Yeah. Um, and, and they may be well-meaning, but look, we all have to juggle our lives. Even in retirement, the, the challenge in retirement is that it's very easy to become undisciplined. The couch is always calling, you know, that the, the YouTube videos, and you can kill a couple hours sure. going down those rabbit holes. So I think you have to constantly discipline yourself to focus on the things you want to do in the next chapter, um, your passions and all that, and create a schedule around that or what works for you for when you're the most energetic so you can achieve the things you want to achieve. I'm Todd Harrington, and you're listening to the Gray Matters Podcast. Along with my co-host, Tony Hoyland, each episode explores a special guest's lifelong passion. There'll be a bit of nostalgia, but mostly it's our guest's personal story of how they discovered their passion and how it evolved over the years. Welcome to the Gray Matters Podcast. Okay, our guest today is John Weiss, a 26-year law enforcement veteran. He actually was a police chief that retired uh, to pursue his creative life. John's written, uh, he's an author of An Artful Life, Inspirational Stories and Essays for the Artists and Everyone. Also a cartoonist, the cartoons of, uh, the cartoon art of John Weiss. Uh, it's, I read that it, as a police officer, you moonlighted as an editorial cartoonist and you've been in, uh, Charles Brooks, best editorial cartoons of the year several times. Uh, you're also a black and white photographer and you have 47,000 followers on your weekly blog about life lessons and 13,000 subscribers in your popular Saturday newsletter. Well, I'll let you speak without further ado, John Weiss. How are you, John? Well, Todd, that was quite the uh, introduction. You've obviously done your your research. Thanks so much for having me on the Gray Matters podcast. All right. Well, before we get started, you're going to hear another voice chime in in a moment, uh, an artist in his own right, uh, my co-host, Tony Hoyland. Hey, what's up, John? Hey, Tony. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Uh, as you know, the Gray Matters uh, is, is about life passion and different and people's passion, whether it's their whole life or found it later in life. But you know, what, what intrigued me about um, your life is because, and I'm going to be blunt, like you think about an a officer of the law if, uh, and you go, hmm, wow, a creative person. I ne- and not to be narrow-minded in generalization, but wow, that's a, quite a shift. A law enforcement veteran who went into creative life and successfully pursuing that now. And w- would you say that this is something that was always hidden deep in you well before you even became a, an officer, or is this something you stumbled upon during that process? I just want to go back a bit when it all started. And, and I'm going to throw another question that you can talk a bit with your, with your parents influential in, in the creative process as well. Sure. So, um, yeah, it goes back to childhood, really. I mean, I um, was enamored with artwork and drawing when I was a little boy. Uh, my father was an administrative law judge, but he was also a, a weekend oil painter. My mother painted a bit. Um, so I was always around art, and that was always a big part of my life growing up. In fact, I fantasized about becoming a cartoonist or maybe a fantasy illustrator. 
And it was my father who gave the advice that so many young people get from parents that mean well, which was, John, have a stable career to fall back on. Ah, good for him. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I, uh, I went off to college after high school and studied criminal justice. I think my father was steering me towards a career in the law like him. Um, but somewhere along the way, I, I became interested in law enforcement, uh, the adventure of it, the, um, the, how it was so different than a lot of other jobs, uh, including being an attorney. And uh, I studied criminal justice, went to grad school, got a master's degree, and, and uh, got hired with the Scotts Valley Police Department in, in Northern California. And that started my journey in law enforcement. Nice. Well, I mean, I mean, having a creative officer and very creative, that probably was helpful. You had different approaches to cases, I bet. I mean, unlike the, the average Joe, you had that kind of in your, in your DNA, so to speak, to make your – were you ever in the – did you say investigative law? Because I, I have to be honest with you, my favorite show is SVU, so I like, I like anything that involves <laughs> you know, thinking of going through the case and figuring it out. Was, uh, right, what, was right. your, what was your typical beat, if you will, on, uh, on a regular weekly basis? So I got to really experience the whole constellation of law enforcement from patrol officer to detective, sergeant, lieutenant, which is an administration. And then um, I, I skipped the captain position when I was um, um, appointed police chief. It, I w- it was me and another officer, another person they were looking at, and I, I was chosen. Uh, but I worked for a, a small department. Scottsdale Police Department is a small department. It's, it's uh, just a little over 20 officers. So this, and it was in Northern California in a town of about 12,000 people. So oh, this okay. wasn't a large department. And what that means is you wear many hats. Yeah, in larger agencies, you can spend your whole career in investigations or in uh, motors or any number of um, disciplines within the agency. Um, but smaller departments, we're sort of a jack of all trades, which was actually great because it exposed me to everything. I got to be a detective. I got to work uh, homicide investigations. I, I, I got to be a patrol officer and experience what it's like to be out in the field on a daily basis and working graveyard shifts. So I'm really thankful in a way that I got to experience so many different things in those 26 years. In the last 10, I had the privilege of serving as police chief, which was its own experience. You're more of a politician in a suit when you're at that level sure. than you are a cop. And one thing, too, about police work you mentioned earlier, I think a lot of people have the the... the the belief that police officers are maybe officious or more rigid or they're not necessarily artistic or creative. And what I experienced in my career in Santa Cruz County, California, was all kinds of police officers that were in their off time were musicians. Some were poets. Some were writers. I knew a guy on a SWAT team uh, who was an actor who, who uh, acted in San Jose in plays. Um, so it's funny how the perception people have of cops is often shaped by media, by, by movies and television. Totally. And it doesn't always comport with how men and women really are in law enforcement. Yeah, I and mean, when I said that, I just couldn't, I had to be honest. I mean, you never think yeah. of that. Like, oh, oh, here come the cops. Get the, come, right. Right, here come the cops. <laughs> so it's always like, um, Tony, uh, um, Tony, you, well, you, and, 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 and John, where you grew up and where your officer, it was a small department. And Tony, you grew up in a small town, right? So it was the same kind of mindset. Did you like know the, all the officers by no, first name kind of thing or no? No, I didn't, really didn't. Um, I'm from Deming, New Mexico, John, which is like 10,000 uh-huh. people in kind of the middle of nowhere. You might drive by it on I-10. Uh, <laughs> but no, didn't really know the police. Um, but uh, I, you know, interesting, interesting saying, how we have stereotype idea of what police might be. And I mean, it's gotta be 
terrible right now with what the media sort sure. of has done to vilify the police. And, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, our world sure. is so upside down, but I guess we don't want to make that about that. <laughs> this podcast yeah. about that, you know. Well, you figure there, there are millions <laughs> of police contacts every day in the United States. Mm. Car stops, you know, domestic violence calls, just random officers coming out to take a, take a cold uh, burglary report or a theft report. And the vast majority of those, contact, those contacts go fine. Oh, yeah. In fact, law enforcement has a, uh, has, has a very high record of success with interactions with the public and the community in handling day-to-day affairs in, in society. What gets attention, unfortunately, yeah. um, although it should get attention, is when cops um, don't perform well, yeah. or when, they, when they make mistakes, or when a few bad eggs in law enforcement put a black eye in the rest mm-hmm. of law enforcement. And that's unfortunate. And I don't bemoan that for happening, and I don't bemoan um, the media for um, reporting on that. The media, what's the Don Henley song, Dirty Laundry? I mean, you know, (laughs) we're always going to focus on the negative, not going to report on, hey, today, you know, law enforcement responded to an accident and helped people and got them out of their cars and, you know, put people to sleep. But, oh, if a a cop shoots somebody, you know, or, or makes a mistake, that's front page. And then, of course, people, anyone who has an agenda or an axe to grind with law enforcement from the past, they're going to come out of the woodwork and, and complain about it. That being said, there are certainly uh, cops, and I met a few in my career, and I fired a few, who um, should never have been in law enforcement and who um, betray everything that law enforcement as a peace officer is supposed to be about. And law enforcement should always welcome constructive criticism and try to do better in serving the community. But we should always remember along with that, the sacrifice and the amazing work that so many of the men and women in law enforcement do. True. 100%. So, so you're, you're, you're working on the force. Uh, when did you start, you started doing moonlighting as a cartoonist. When, what, what, what stage did you start doing that? And that was, was that your first passion was the cartoons? It sounds like, yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I, uh, for some reason as a boy, I, I, I was drawing all the time, but I gravitated towards cartoons. I had a piano, piano teacher and uh she um she taught me classical piano and she also used to cut out cartoons political cartoons from the newspapers for me because i loved them i didn't understand them when i was a kid i didn't the politics i didn't understand but i loved the drawings and the cartoons and so i kind of grew into that as i got older in high school and college i drew on the, the, the campus newspapers so when i got to the police department i started moonlighting on my days off as a cartoonist for the local uh uh, the county newspaper and also a local city newspaper. Uh, and it got me in a lot of trouble because I started lampooning local politics. Yeah. Uh, I, I made fun of the district attorney's office uh, with some infighting that they had going on. And, and that got me dragged into the police chief's <laughs> office. <laughs> Whoops. Chief, chief Wapple, Stephen oh Wapple. Um, his son now is the current police chief where I work. But Chief Wapple Sr., he pulled me into his office and he said, let me walk you through this, Weiss. He <laughs> says, if you get involved in a critical incident or a shooting. Now, you got a master's degree, Weiss. Figure this out. Who do you think is going to investigate that shooting? Oh, uh, the district attorney's office? That's right, you idiot. You know? <laughs> and you're drawing cartoons about them? You know, so... It was an education, and um, gee, you know, Whoops. just because I like to draw, I'm oh, I have free speech. I'll tell you what you can do with your free yeah, speech, exactly. wise, you know. Yeah. So I learned my lesson, and I, I started to move away from political cartooning as much as I enjoyed it. 
Okay. And I started to get into uh, landscape painting, and that didn't get me in any trouble. <laughs> well, the cartoon, you can also have the, if you get a little famous theme, a strip going, like Garfield or something, you just, it could have created your right. own little strip. Or you were doing a bunch of local one-offs that could uh, ruffle yeah, some Yeah, I feathers. was doing political cartoons. Yeah. I like drawing single cartoons, and, and the more controversial, the better. Oh, so, yeah. so, you know, for newspapers, that, that brings letters to the editor, people uh, that love it and people that hate yeah. it. And so they, they like that. Um, so it was fun. But, uh, you know, obviously it was problematic. People were calling the police department. They wanted to talk to the cartoonist, you know, for the local paper. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, a little tangent, I thought, of speaking of irreverent and uh, controversial, like I think I read just last week, like Mad Magazine is celebrating I don't know how many years. I don't know about you guys. Did you grow up with that, man? I, I, I love oh, that yeah. magazine. Oh, yeah. Yes. And yeah, I, absolutely. I, I, I used to pick it up in the, in the grocery stores when I go to town with my parents and look at the Don Martin cartoons and the Sergio Aragonis cartoons and Matt Davis. I mean, I, I loved it. I think it was only just a couple of years ago that Mad Magazine uh, stopped publishing hard copy and now they're just online. Wow. And then maybe you folded. I was all excited to do the folding in the back or something. You had right. To fold the A to B. And I thought, oh, this is going to be so good. What is it going to be? You know, right, really right. Excited. Well, so you yeah. went into landscape painting uh, uh, after that more? Um, I did. Yeah. I, I, uh, I started, I had an interest in landscape painting, oil painting. And uh, I, I used to follow different artists that I admired uh, online. And one in particular, a guy named Scott L. Christensen. He's based in Idaho. Mm-hmm. Um, his work is just amazing he's he's a well-renowned landscape painter and he offered workshops so i uh, you know flew to idaho and took a a, a beginning workshop with him and i kind of hit it off with him he liked the novelty that the there was an actual cop in his, sure. his everybody else were all artists they were working artists you know a few people were worked for companies like dreamworks and all that that you know did it uh, animation and they were learning more about color and landscape painting and i was the only cop so i was kind of like who is this guy and uh, so Scott and I hit it off, and I came back to an advanced workshop, and then I got invited to what's called a salon with him and one other artist, and we stayed in the studio and painted for a week, and it was just an amazing experience, and I really enjoyed it. Well, it's funny. I was thinking to you, and you're, you're easy to talk to and all that. I'm thinking about your painting and your background. I thought... I was doing some research today, go, and I stumbled upon Bob Ross, and I go, remember that guy? I'm like, maybe John's got a Bob Ross thing going. I don't know about Because I used to just sit there and stare at him going, oh, my God, there's something about his voice, and he just does that. It was so mellow on a Saturday morning or something. You know, I remember Ross. him. What? I remember Bob Ross. I really wasn't a fan so much of his artwork. Um, it, it was sort of a formula style, that, um, but uh, he had this this – this voice, like you said, this amazing, calming, gentle voice. You know, we're going to make happy little trees. <laughs> you know, and you just you just got mesmerized watching him. And I don't know why. I'm sure he was a wonderful man. Yeah, yeah. No, there was a great, actually great documentary on him sometime. Check it out. Um, and so, so you did that. And so along the way, I mean, your parents are, you've made the, the leap. Are your parents around? Did they like the, the when you gave it up officially? Uh yeah, my my mom and dad uh, were just wonderful. They're no longer with me. I lost my mother last year um, at 87 years old. Wonderful, wonderful parents. Um, but they were always supportive of my, my interests and efforts. My dad was a pragmatist, though. That's why he said have a stable career sure, to fall back on. Sure. And I'm glad I listened to his advice, um, Todd, because, you know, if I had tried to be an artist, um, one, 
art is a difficult field to be successful in. Sure. Most artists will tell you that. It, and sometimes the joy of making art can be sullied by the business end of it if you do it full time. Mm -hmm. Where now you're you're painting to the market and you know, your galleries, if you're a gallery painter, are telling you which paintings sell. They want more of those. They don't want maybe your moody, darker work. They want those colorful sun sunsets. So I think for me, listening to my father and having a career in an education in law enforcement was wonderful because it, it balanced me out. But um, they were very supportive of my, my creative interests. Uh, my dad passed away in 2004. He was always supportive. My mom, all those years after my dad passed away, was my biggest champion. And she, whether it was my writing or my, my painting or cartooning, she always just, you know, Johnny, keep doing it. I love it. Oh, you know, and that's so awesome. she just Great. was, and it's wonderful to have that, you know, even as an adult, to have someone who's always cheering you on, um, as long as you don't let it go to your head. You know, is is a wonderful thing. Okay, so we always ask guests like, when the decision to pursue it more actively, like you did, did you have moments where you go, "Oh my God, what did I do? I pull it, I quit the police force. What did I do?" I mean, was there ever right. a moment where you said, "This was a mistake. This is hard." No, I think um, for me, it might maybe different than some stories of people who transitioned away from one career, maybe mid career, where it's more risky. I made the choice to forego five more years to max out my pension hmm. in order to dive into my um, creative life full time. Wow! So I gave up. So I gave up some some pension years um, in order to start writing, uh, painting, drawing cartoons, doing photography just full time. I I just longed to finally have the time to do it full time. Before that, I had to very carefully manage my schedule, say no to things mm. in order to craft, you know, like most people do time in the mornings or evenings or weekends to pursue my creative life. So making the decision to retire a little early in 2016, um, I had a conversation with my wife and my son and um, we agreed it was, it, was, it was a good move and uh, I haven't regretted it one bit. And so, and that was how many years ago did you go full? So I went full uh, at the end of 2016. I retired in January 2017. I went full time with my writing and my artwork, and then we relocated from California to Southern Nevada uh, near Las Vegas oh. um, in mid mid 2017. My son wanted to go to school here at UNLV, and and we had friends, uh, law enforcement friends that had retired and moved here, and. Um, you know, and that's a whole other story for people in retirement is uh, considering where you want to live. Mm -hmm. But for us, um, we like the climate. It's a little hot in the summer, but we found a house with a pool and um, there's no state income tax here so that your your, your pension goes a little mm -hmm. further. And um, it was a good move for us. and We've enjoyed it. And then so you, you mentioned writing a few times because when we first started talking, I looked at your artwork. But you're, I've been reading your, your newsletter and your blog. That seems to be a big passion. That's a weekly blog and, and right. newsletter. It's very much about life lessons, so it's very much. Uh, I'll encourage people to check it out. The gray matters. Uh, we'll go. People will go listen, uh, read it. Um, do you get in? Sure. How do you find time? I mean, that's a lot to write. And you're, are you doing art every day? Are you taking photos every day? What's your priority as far as w what you're doing more of? Yeah, that's a good question. I originally the plan and the priority was to become a full time painter. Uh, that's what I thought I was going to do. It is funny, isn't it, how you can sort of pivot and not realize that you're going in a different direction. But right. I think back in 2015 or 14, I started blogging on my art website at johnpweiss.com. And um, the the platform that I have my website on, Fine Art Studio Online, they have their own um, newsletter, their own blog. It's called Fine Art Views. And they invited me to write for them because they liked some of the blogs I was writing back then about the creative arts. 
And so I started writing a weekly column for them on their blog. And that is how I first started growing sort of an audience um, online, if you will. And, um, and then from that, I started posting articles, cross-posting my blog posts on a website called medium.com. Right, yeah. And, uh, and that's when things started taking off with my writing. I've, I've always enjoyed writing. I did quite a bit of it in the police department for local newspapers on law enforcement-related matters and magazines. But um, the medium gig kind of took off. I started coupling my cartoons with my articles and some photography. And that's really where I started growing a sizable audience. And I was writing about the creative arts and, and life lessons, many drawn from my law enforcement career and from reading. And I found I really enjoyed the writing. Um, oh, having been a reader, I just, I loved it. And um, that took off to become really more my source of retirement you know, uh, gravy income uh, is 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 the writing that you, you get paid on Medium by how many people read your articles and how popular articles are. Um, they have a partnership program, and I just did it for fun. But it became something that um, has really been enjoyable, and I learned so much from readers and the comments that they share with me. Um, it's been a great experience. I'm definitely going to check it out. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting is I read it, and this is a compliment, definitely, John. Is that so? Where. You have very insightful some of your thoughts. Like where you had no really writing training, right? I mean, I mean, I know you went to college and all that, but this is sure. uh, this is some really good stuff. I've been reading. Very insightful, oh, inspirational. Thank you. So you 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 stumbled upon writing a, a little later, and you found wow, I'm pretty good at that. I know you said when you started a little bit, but did this something you do did when you were much younger as well? I think it does trace back to when I was younger. I think I've always had this creative strain in me. Um, I think my love of reading came later. I wish it came earlier, but when I was a boy, I was really busy drawing most of the time. Mm -hmm. But even, even in, I went to, my dad sent me away to all these, all these private schools growing up. So I got a very good education in private schools. Um, and I enjoyed writing particularly in the English classes. And we did a lot of creative writing, um, in my elementary school, um, years. Okay. And I think that started the the process. And we had the, what the guy who ran, it's defunct now, but there was a guy named Ralph Denman with Denman Day School. It was a private school in, in Cupertino, California. And he used to read to us in the afternoons after um, this one class after English. And he'd read, you know, classics, um, just different books, The Call of the Wild, you know, Jack mm-hmm. London, things like that. And so you, I got this sense of what elegant writing could be um, and I think as I got older and started reading a lot more, um, that spoke to me more and more. And now when I, when I read different books and I read kind of broadly on all kinds of different topics, but I love good writing. I love it when people have a beautiful turn of a phrase. I love when people write well and they, I can imagine things. And so with my writing on medium and other places, it's very easy to get sucked into, um, copywriting or writing headlines that suck people in sure. and, and it isn't always very elegant writing. And what I've challenged myself to do is to – I still have to write headlines that will get some attention or no one will even read your article, unfortunately. <laughs> mm-hmm. Online is different than writing for magazines or books. But I've challenged myself to write more elegant articles uh, that share interesting information from my reading and from my life that can help people live a better life, That's live awesome. a more artful life. Wow. That's great. I have a question, John. When you guys relocated to Nevada um, – did you kind of hook up with a community of other artists or writers to kind of, you know, support each other and just hang out? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. 
uh, Tony, that would be normally, I think, what a lot of artists would do is is to get some sustenance and some inspiration from other artists. But I'm kind of a strange cat that way. Um, I'm a bit of a, um, I have a buddy that calls me a hermit, but um, I'm not really a joiner. I've mm-hmm. never really been a joiner. I think in my law enforcement career, particularly the 10 years I was police chief, I was, if anything, over-socialized. I was in a rotary uh-huh. club. I gave speeches. I was out in the community right. constantly for 10 years. I mean, my entire, I never had really a day off. You're always on when you're a police chief. And so um, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the community. But I think at heart, I'm more of an introvert. And I find that I get energized by downtime. Um, but that means time at home reading, time walking my dogs on long walks or working out um, and thinking. I do enjoy interacting with some local friends. I have a coffee group that I get together with uh, and a Wednesday uh, lunch group that I have lunch with some guys. But really, most of my time is at home either with my wife uh, or working in my studio or, or on walks with the dogs. So I haven't really joined any groups, although there's plenty of groups to join here and it's something to consider. But I seem to be more of a uh, uh, of a of a introvert, <laughs> of a, introvert. Of a hermit. <laughs> yeah, hermit. It's like a for forced extrovert in the first part of your career, and then you realize you're more of an introvert, actually. Right. Like. Uh, but I think also, Tony. I mean, about you, but like I enjoy as an I'm a writer. Like most artists, like their their alone time, if you will, uh, to not rush. But you still you're part of a community. I get it, but maybe not overly involved because you like that time and, and you you recharge solo a lot i do at least totally my only thing is like sometimes you know i mean i'm in the same boat kind of i it's just sometimes not having a structured day is challenging you know what i mean and also i mean i i can i have to kind of go out of my way to see people you know what i mean um that can get weird yeah yeah yeah, I can unless I get to, to see you, Todd. Yeah, well, that's that's, that's <laughs> worth like seven people when you get to see me. Um, two, I get like two weeks worth of fun. Two for one. That's yeah. like I'm good. Um, so, but do you? Uh, that's a good point. I mean, as an artist, being having a structured life. That if you're full, I mean, it's one thing when you're in the this uh, police force, uh, but now uh, you have a a daily structure. I'm going to take photos on Wednesday from ten to twelve. I'm going to paint from. I mean, do you have a plan, or you just kind of see what? Hits you in the morning, so to speak. You know, I, from my law enforcement career, I learned a lot of discipline and focus. And when I first retired, I did have more structure. I, I would say, okay, you know, certain days are going to be my writing mornings. You know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'll, I'll spend the mornings. I get up early, spend the mornings doing reading and writing. You know, and then once I'm done with what I'm working on, and I'd have lunch, and in the afternoons, I'd focus on painting or maybe doing some photography. And I've kind of loosely stuck with that. But what I've discovered is. Things change when you retire. Uh, you know, you have more freedom. Mm. And I have found sometimes that um, I'm more productive if I listen to my creative energy. And so I find sometimes in the evenings I have more creative energy than I do in the mornings. Um, and I started evolving a little bit around that, where the mornings would be more reading, having a couple cups of coffee, doing some exercise with the dogs. And I found sometimes in the evenings I was more writing more clearly. Uh, I found I was more productive. So sometimes you evolve yeah. in, that, in that respect. And as far as, you know, a community of other artists, well, I don't have a group here I'm involved with right now. It is amazing if you use social media or the Internet wisely, um, you can connect with some amazing people. I connected with a guy in New Zealand, Sean D'Souza, who's a wonderful photographer and a cartoonist. And he has an online business as well called psychotactics.com. He helps other businesses 
But um, we connected over, I think, Cartoony a couple of years ago, and we've carried on a WhatsApp conversation now for a few years, and Jeez. it's been it's been just amazing with back and forth sharing cartoons or the photography he's working on, um, and. I feel like I've never met him in person, but I feel like we're friends. We've known each other. Well, we have known each other for a couple of years. So it is amazing how you can get a lot of inspiration um, from people online too. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. I mean, I, I, I talk a bit about your photography. I love I love black and white. So that's pretty much what you do. And that's a yeah. that's a more recent um, thing that I've gotten into, Todd. It, uh, I'm, I'm not sure where it first came from, but I think. There was a while back where I read this some blogger who had taken all of his content. I think he did some photography too, but he took all of his content down on his social media channels. He was on Facebook, I think Instagram, a couple of different places. And he decided that, you know, maybe all this content that we kind of throw out there into the world isn't meant to be out there forever. And he wanted to have a clean slate hmm. and start over. Um, and around, and I was, around that time, I was looking at, uh, I was kind of in the minimalism and simplicity. I simplified my life. I don't like complications in life. I like to live simply and not have a lot of clutter. And somewhere in there, this, this, this fascination with classic black and white photography became really an interest of mine. And I started really looking at more and more photographers online on Instagram that whose work I really liked people like Phil Penman, who used to be a paparazzi, um, uh, and others. Uh, and I just love the clean contrast of black and white photography. I like its theatricality, um, you don't have the distraction of color, so mm. you really have to focus on shapes and design and things like that. Uh, and like I said, I'm, I'm new to photography, so I'm still learning. Um, I But I'm really enjoying it. And I got an interest in uh, street photography and capturing moments uh, out there in society, which is a tricky area of photography because, you know, some people don't like their picture being taken. Um, you have to be respectful of people's space. Um and that can be that can be tricky, uh, but it's amazing when you capture a wonderful scene in society that's happening in real time, or someone helping someone, or or a beautiful reflection of somebody walking past a, uh, or maybe someone deep in thought in a restaurant, and uh, and so I've been exploring that, and I'm looking to maybe use my photography to tell more stories uh, in my writing. If you were to pick one from writing to painting. The photography, I mean, if you were forced to, not that we'd ever do that, but which one would really, you could not live without? Uh, how's that? You know, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, when I was younger, it would, it would always be the artwork, you know, the drawing and, and the cartooning and whatnot. Um, I would say now um, writing has become a big part of my, my life. Mm -hmm. What's that Ann Dillard quote? Um, how you spend your days is how you spend your life. And it seems like um, yeah. I spend a lot of time these days writing, which really kind of surprises me because uh, for so long, it was all more about a graphic expression. And, you know, I love I love cartooning. I did it for so many years, though, that maybe even though I still enjoy it, the luster, I, I seem to get a little more a little bit more excitement now when I when I'm writing and I write a piece that I'm happy with. I get more excited about writing a piece I'm happy with than I do drawing a great cartoon. Yeah. Um, even though I love drawing cartoons, but it's time consuming doing the cartoons and illustrating my articles with cartoons. I began to worry about a year and a half ago that maybe one of the reasons my writing was doing well on medium was because of the novelty of the cartoons paired with it. And so I started to um, do some articles with 
um, which is black and white photography and no cartoons to try to get away from that and see if, if my writing would suffer if it was. And it didn't. I found that people were, were enjoying the writing. They liked it when I did the cartoons and the writing, but they also just appreciate good writing. And so um, the writing has become something that I, I, I really enjoy because um, I can go anywhere with it. I can tell stories. I can um, try to inspire people. Uh, and I like to get feedback. It, it's easier to scale. If you write a book, you can you can sell it and share it with people. Um, artwork is you know, one painting at a time okay. or one cartoon at a time. Uh, so um, I've just found of late the writing has been a, a joy, which is actually why my painting has suffered because I haven't painted as much. I used to sell paintings more, and I'm not painting as much as I was. Although I may go back to it. You can't do it all. But, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just <laughs> a, it's a face. I mean, do you think over – What's different now as an artist, not just painting or writing or photography? What's different now, 10 years ago, 20 years ago? How have you you've evolved as an artist, you think, emotionally well, as well? One way I know I've evolved is, um, you know, I used to do everything. Like when I was cartooning, I had traditional media. I was using pen and ink, watercolor. And once it all dried, I'd scan it to my, you know, to my website. It was a very slow, arduous process, particularly if I was traveling and I was blogging. Um, and then I, I finally, with technology, um, I started drawing my cartoons and coloring them and everything um, digitally. I start now. I use an iPad Pro and, and an Apple Pencil, and I use a, a, an app called Procreate to do my cartoons. And it's just a hundred times faster than doing it. The, and I used to think I'd never do digital art, and now I see how convenient it is and how fast it is. And um, that's one of the reasons uh, why I think I was able to do so many cartoons with my blog posts. So technology has changed, and we're seeing that now with the current movement towards non-fungible token artwork, mm -hmm. NFTs they call them, yeah. where artists now are you know trying to sell digital art pieces that are one of a kind. Um, and I still prefer traditional media. I prefer old school actual paintings. I, I, I have paintings I bought from other artists. I love looking at them on my wall. Uh, as much as I use digital art to do my cartoons, I still prefer the the pleasure of pen on paper, but it's just slower. And if you want to be competitive with your art nowadays, you you probably have to incorporate digital too. If you sure. if you do an online work, have you ever developed uh, photos like old school? No, and that's something that oh, I, I did have that. That was crazy with those chemicals. Oh my god! Right, it actually sounds interesting to me though because I'm kind of envious of people who have that background because it's such a uh, a great building block if you understand you know, dodging. And if you understand how, how to work in a, in a, in a dark room, my wife took a class many years ago in, in photography, uh, before I met her. And, um, you know, so she had that background of knowing what it's like to work in a dark room and, and, and the whole transition from, from film to, you know, to, to digital. Uh, now I had old 35 millimeter cameras like everyone did back in the day, but I, I wasn't really into photography then. Um, so I, I kind of envy people that have that background. It is funny because even, you know, the, my daughters, uh, you know, remember Polaroid cameras, which were nothing. I mean, you did, no one cared, but now they've made their way back, you know, the Polaroid camera. And so I think right. the going retro, if you will, is interesting. I, I mean, I did take photography back in high school and we had to develop our own. It was pretty wild to see it come to life while you're doing it in the chemicals. I mean, although you're, the, the chemicals on your skin didn't feel so great. But uh, other than that, it was really fun to watch it in the development process and having control over the way you develop them, you know, with, you know, with, a, the, the, with the light hitting certain areas. I remember shaking it, moving it around to kind of affect 
the actual development of the photo. It was pretty. It was, it was a wild experience, and you had some control over it more than you do now. Digital is digital. I mean, it looks great, but it's easier, obviously. But Todd uh, went to a fancy high school. That allowed you to do that. <laughs> not yeah, not yeah. Deming High School. I no, tell, tell you no. that. Well, come on. Did you take did you take photography and you have those classes? Hell in no, time? man. No? No, there was one camera no, they, for the whole school. They, they had yeah. something called shop, which I didn't take. I was in the choir and the band. I was one of those guys. Then you, you and two people were so small, like you and the band. Was, how, many, how many people were in the band with you? I don't know, man. Thirty. I don't know. Oh, so was big. Twenty. The whole, the entire maybe more. I don't, they, oh. they marched on the field. It was, you know, it's a whole thing. Damn, it's New Mexico, well, you know, dude. There is a fascination. There is a fascination with old school analog technology that's making totally. somewhat of, of a resurgence. I wrote an article uh, on Medium on my website long, not long ago called Why the Convenient Path You're On Might Be Leading You Astray. And in that mm. article, I talked about a woman, um, what was her name? Um, Lindsay Ross. And she's a conceptual fine art photographer. Um, and she works with these 250-pound vintage um, wet plate collodion cameras. These are the kinds of cameras that they use back to like, take pictures in the Civil War, you know, and of Yosemite. Wow. Um, and, she, and she has to use all the chemicals and lug this equipment out in her, um, in her truck, you know, like these old tin-type old photos. I love those old photos. I even have an app I use to, take, to make some of my photos look like sure. tin-type photos because yeah. I love that, that sort of distressed old vintage look. Mm-hmm. I, think it's, I think it's beautiful. And the fact that there's a photog- photographer like this woman who, you know, she's chosen a very, she has a whole background, a fine arts degree, and she's doing this work with these old cameras that are um, very difficult to work with. But there's a market for that. There's people who, who in the photography community who admire and appreciate these old schoolers that are working with, you know, difficult, capricious equipment. Um, and they're, and as a result, they're getting amazing old school images. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, it's yeah. totally cool. Tony, so you didn't tell us more about your art in your school. There's nothing going on. Come on. Uh, they, I'm sure they had a very basic art thing going on, but I have no talent in art. What's, I mean, like visual art. I mean, I love it. I, I love going to museums. I appreciate it. I kind of have gone to so many museums. I, I can recognize painters and stuff like that, but, um, no, I have zero talent. I'm like a full-on stick figure dude. But you're a and, musician, uh, so uh, yeah. <laughs> well, my mother, my mother was an artist, and um, not not like professionally. I mean, she raised kids and stuff. But yes, yeah, she would she would sell her work. And my brother as well. So it's in there I somewhere. Just, we just got to get no, it out. No, it isn't. It isn't. It no, isn't okay. in there. Stick Trust me. Stick to stick figures. I got some well, other stuff. Tony, aren't you also a voiceover actor? I am. Yes. So that's that's an art form in and of itself. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think mean, so. That's a form of expression that, I mean, not everybody can do. That's true. Yeah. That's and he's a musician. True. And he writes his songs. And a musician. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and John, did you, uh, I know you played <clears throat> piano when you were younger. Have you just continued to dabble? Not that you have a lot of free time with all your art, but uh, do you dabble in uh, in music still? Um, not as much as I used to, but I, I, uh, I did have a whole musical past too. I was in two rock bands, one in high school and one in college. I played keyboards and sang vocals, nice. um, and absolutely loved it. I did all the sticks songs, the Dennis Young songs yeah. and all that. Um, cause I had the range for it, you know, so they'd, they'd have me come in to do the, they'd make fun of me and say, John's going to come in and sing the girl parts now. You know? <laughs> nice. but, but you know, it, it was, it was, it was so much fun. And of course I fantasized about being a rock star, like every probably young person did back yep. then. Um, 
And then we had a baby grand piano back in California, our home in California. And I used to love to come home on my lunch hours and I would play the piano and sing. And when we'd have parties, you know, they, my friends would go to me into singing. Uh, I think the best story with my singing was when I was a lieutenant. I was in Carmel, California for a, um, a law enforcement um, management class with a bunch of other young lieutenants that had been recently promoted. And we all went to the Mission Ranch in Carmel to have a few beers after class. And they had a piano there. And I don't know if you know this, but but Clint Eastwood owns yeah. the Mission Ranch. Yeah. And he's frequently there. Um, and so we went in there one night. And they don't let people sing or play the piano. But my friend somehow talked the manager into letting me get up and sing a song. So I sat down at the piano and I played Billy Joel's Piano Man. And Makes I didn't sense. know it. Yeah. But um, after everyone finished applauding, uh, they were a kind audience. Um I looked in the back and there was Clint Eastwood with another gentleman having a glass of wine. And we spoke to him afterward and uh, he was the, the nicest guy. And he said, ah, John, nice you know, do you appreciated the song, yeah. you know, and, and uh, we shook hands with him. We congratulated him on his movie, Million Dollar Baby, wow. came out that year. And so it was really a lot of fun. And he he's pulled out a magnum. He's supposed to be a great jazz pianist, like oh, really yeah. accomplished. Yeah, he is. Yeah. He is. Um, John, how long, how long did you take lessons for? Oh, God, for years when I was oh, growing okay. up, um, uh, years. Uh, there was a, a woman named Irma Hinsenberg, and she was a refugee from Latvia. Um, if she were alive today, she would be shaking her fist uh, at Vladimir Putin mm. uh, because they invaded Latvia back when she was uh, uh, young, and she and her husband had to flee the country and come to America, and they lost everything and started over again. But she um, taught me piano in Los Gatos, California, where mm. I grew up. She was a wonderful lady. And um, so I played for years with her. She didn't um, appreciate some of the rock songs I tried to slip in as much as, uh, you know, uh, Claude Debussy or some of the more classic mm, artists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but she's a wonderful lady, you know, and, and uh, people like that are you know, part of their legacy they leave is, you know, how they help other people and Absolutely. train other people. And she certainly helped me with my music. So let, let me. So if this never happened, you say in law enforcement. What I mean, could you imagine that? I mean, there's no way. I mean, this is this had to happen. You felt. I mean, there's something inside of you said this had to happen. I'm curious, what would happen if you had you stayed in law enforcement? What do you think? I think um, the same outcome would have eventually happened. Mm. Five years would have gone by. I would have been retiring. Well, probably this year. Um, but you know, my my successor, Steve Wapple. Um, Junior in Scotts Valley. He's a current police chief, a wonderful man. He was my lieutenant when I was um, a police chief there. I recruited him from Los Gatos Police to join our department. Um, chief Wapple had to navigate the department in Scotts Valley through terrible fires the last couple of years in Northern California that, that affected the county sure. that Scotts Valley is in. Um, he had to deal with the entire COVID nightmare in a small community with um, all the challenges that came with that. Um, social unrest. Uh, there were Black Lives Matters protests. He had to coordinate with um, the folks doing the protests. And so it was a very challenging time in Scotts Valley. Um, and if I was still police chief near the end of my career, uh, I think it would have been very stressful. Yeah. And I think it would have aged me. So I feel that I, I skirted a bullet. Uh, chief Wapple was younger than me. He had the energy. He was ready to dive in. And I was sort of Coming to the end of my professional career in law enforcement, I was ready to dive into the next thing. Even though I was young, I was only 52 years old when I retired. Uh, but I, I think it was meant to be, and I'm glad that I made the change. 
I think that it's it's so important that people listen to that internal voice that's 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 constantly whispering in their ear. Um, maybe it's a voice from when they were a teenager and they wanted to play the guitar and and be a musician, or maybe someone always wanted to be a stone sculptor. Um, but never really got a chance to dive into it. One of the blessings of retirement is the opportunity to explore some of those passions that may have laid dormant in you, or maybe they've been with you all along and you just never had the time to really dive into it. And my advice is to come up with a plan um, and to dive into it. And it maybe uh, requires um, creative juggling. Maybe, you know, some people can't just retire outright. They still have to bring in some money um, to support their kids or to pay that mortgage off or whatever it is. But uh, with creative juggling, there's always ways to, to juggle your schedule so that you can give voice to that creative um, muse inside of you or that, or that desire inside of you to do something you've always wanted to do. If you ignore that, I think you're going to age and you're going to be bitter that you didn't do something mm. with it. And doing something with it doesn't mean you have to become financially successful. I think that, that one of the big challenges is, is remembering. I had a friend the other day that told me when I was complaining once that, um, that I didn't do so well with some articles I thought I was going to do. And he says, John, John, you're retired. This is for fun. You know, he says, <laughs> take the pressure off. You know, if you, if you make it all about making a living, then you're going to make choices that may steer you away from your joy. So, that is true. You know, I think it's important to, to focus on that. I mean, David Brooks... Um, I had a book that he read, I read of his a while back called The Second Mountain. And he really, God, he really talks about the, the quest for a moral life. And he talks about, you know, we all spend our lives in our early years um, listening to society. And, and what does society tell us? That we need to be successful. It's all about achievement and affirmation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and really what it becomes about as you get older is you get to the top of that first mountain. You look around and you realize that, yeah, maybe I'm not so satisfied. Yeah, I was successful or I achieved some things, but... I'm not satisfied. That's when you have to climb back down and go into the valley and find what it is that really speaks to your heart and soul. And that's when you start climbing what he calls the second mountain. Also, what is success now? I mean, define success, really. I mean, that's... Uh, what is it? Yeah. Right? And I think, I think what it should be is to become less self or egocentric and become more other-focused. I think once you start doing things for other people... Um, inspiring other people with your creative work, or um, but even it could be helping your family. Um, that's why people get so much joy out of uh, like their grandchildren and, and helping them, or or volunteering in organizations to help other people, or using their artwork or their creative skills or their business skills to inspire others. I think you know when people do things like that later in life, they find deep meaning and satisfaction out of that. And I think that's really what that second mountain that David Brooks talks about is all about. There was a writer, uh, Jeff Goins. I took a workshop with him, um, really nice guy. And, and he wrote something about that. I think that's where I first heard that was nothing is wasted. Yes. You know, we that's think, I had yeah. a friend ask me, Ari, do you regret being, being in law enforcement for 26 years? You could have been painting and writing and really developing as an artist. Mm. And I said, no, <laughs> no, because those years in law enforcement taught me volumes about, oh, gosh, I mean, focus, discipline, loss, love, anger, the, the human condition. I learned so much from that career. And all of that informs my creative totally. life now as a writer. Yeah. Um, it, it, it shapes who I am today and what I want to talk about. And, and, and so, uh, no, no, nothing is wasted. I, you can always, even negative, terrible experiences, uh, you, can, you can take from, I mean, Victor Frankl, when he wrote, you know, that man's search for meaning after mm-hmm. surviving a, a, uh, the Holocaust and concentration camps, he learned that, you know, terrible things can happen to you, but you have the power to decide how you want to 
react to them. And even in retirement, you have the power to decide how you want to manage your life and, and what kind of legacy you want to leave. It's interesting to hear to hear you use the word retirement um, <laughs> because I don't. Uh, you do not seem like a dude who's retired at all, and in, in, in a good and I mean in a good way. You know what I mean? Right. You, you right. have meaning and and purpose and. Uh, to some extent, ambition, it, it seems to be very much happening with you. Yeah, actually, Tony, I'm glad you brought that up because I actually don't like using the word retirement. Um, I think of myself as having done a career transition. That That's I, it. That's I, it. I was yeah. in law enforcement, and now I've transitioned into being a writer and an artist. Yeah. Um, and that's really how I look at it. I, I look at this as my job. I, I focus on, on it that way. I have goals with my, my work now, what I want to achieve with my writing and all that. But I at least have the, the benefit and the, um, the security that I, you know, I have a retirement pension. I have medical benefits. I own my home. So I don't have the stress that, that some writers and artists do of how to make ends meet. Um, right. And I know I'm very lucky you know, I, that, that I have that. Um, but that being said, I don't think of myself as retired. When I meet people, I don't say, oh, I'm retired. I say, oh, I'm a writer you know, or I'm an artist. I, um, and I sometimes don't even mention my past career. I just say it is what I do now. Mm-hmm. Um, True. Yeah, retirement with a small r. Right. <laughs> um, Tony, any other thoughts? No, man. I've really enjoyed this. Uh, I'm going to definitely check out the uh, John, com. right? Yep. And sign that's up for it. the newsletter. I already did. I got my for confirmation, sure. John, when I signed up right away. <laughs> I love it. You, you're on it. The technology is like seconds later. Kudos to the both of you for, for the podcast because I think it's important to send a message out to people uh, looking for the next chapter of their lives. Exactly. That there's a lot of possibilities. Exactly. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Gray Matters Podcast. Please rate and review and be sure to tell your friends too. For more information about our guests and this podcast, go to thegraymatters.org. And please subscribe to the Gray Matters wherever you get your podcasts. I'd like to thank my guest, John Weiss, my co-host, Tony Hoyland, and a special thanks to you, the listener. I'm Todd Harrington. Until next time.